I was up a bit early this morning, and as I was sitting in my recliner trying to think about this day and uh, the text before us, I received a couple of interesting emails. One from a former student, young woman who's ministering in Tanzania, asking a question about what she might do in a situation. About ten minutes later, got a note from one of our graduates, bright young guy who's serving Christ over in Rwanda. And I thought, the body of Christ. (laughs) Isn't that amazing? Wherever you are, there you are. And there it is. The young woman in Tanzania ministering to children, orphans, needy young people, showing them Jesus. The young man pastoring, leading a flock of Rwandans involved in church growth and the duplication of churches there in Rwanda, raising funds to try to help that area become self-sufficient. And as I sat there in the comfort of that living room, I realized how blessed we are to be a part of a body that Christ is preparing to continue to reach out and touch lives wherever they might be. So in a moment, we're going to read our text for this morning. Galatians chapter 3, verses 21 to 29, thinking about unity as that taste of heaven. But before we get into it, I want us to remember the words of uh, Ray Stedman. He used to be the pastor of the Peninsula Bible Church up in Palo Alto, many years. Great Bible teacher. And the words probably weren't his. He found them from some wag, but uh, they speak to what I'd want to say this morning. In a little book Stedman published years ago, entitled Body Life, he said, To live above with those we love, oh, that will be glory. But to live below with those we know, that's another story. But you see, the body of Christ is about right here, right now, where we are, doing the work of God in the midst of the body of Christ. That's what we have to remember. That's what we have to capitalize on. That this is our shot to prove the faithfulness of God in a world that could really care less about what we think or what we do. And yet it means everything if we understand it correctly. Hear the word of the Lord this morning, Galatians chapter 3, verses 29, or 21 to 29, excuse me. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. 
For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, There is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Thinking about the body of Christ and relating it in some organic way to the physical body, I took the opportunity this week to call a healthcare professional to talk about what a healthy body might look like. I got the following response. We can look at a healthy body two ways. We can look at that body as having good vital signs, balanced height and weight, toned muscles, good digestion, and on and on and on. Looking at what we perceive as that balanced experience within the body itself. Normal temperature, you know, good blood pressure, all of those things. But the second way to look at a healthy body is to perceive it as being a state of complete physical, mental, and social well-being. Not merely the absence of dis-ease or infirmity, but that wholeness of the body, physically, mentally, socially, and I think we could add in this context, spiritually. Having that sense of soundness. Then I recall those words from the book of Acts. When the outsiders looked at the church and said, my, how they love one another. How they love one another. You see, the problem of the law, although it was given by God, and we talked about that last week, and it's not contrary to the promise, but its intent was not to bring life. Its intent was to reveal transgressions. And Paul tells us here in words that are just absolutely significant. That scripture imprisoned everything under sin. So that the promise by faith in Christ Jesus might be given to those who believe. The law, a part of scripture as Paul understood it, imprisoned. Everything under sin. Now, I don't know 
if you want to go so far theologically as to say, aha, there's our understanding of original sin. But I do know this, that what the text is trying to teach us is that this product of Scripture, this placing us all under sin, certainly needed the power to emancipate and to liberate us from sin itself. And that came through our faith in Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection. You see, it is there that we find our unity together. So, whether we're the same breed nationalistically, whether we share the same ethnicity or the same social class, it doesn't matter. We find our unity in Christ. See, that's where we find our oneness. You probably need to know this story that uh, when Gail came to Bethany Nazarene College, now Southern Nazarene University, her father, one of those Johnson City Democrats down there in Texas, if you don't know what that means, I'll tell you about it later. One of the last things he told Gail before leaving, he said, you know, don't get mixed up with any of those Yankees up here in Oklahoma. They think different than we do. He thought Yankees were in Oklahoma? (laughs) And sure enough, she dragged home a Yankee son-in-law for him. And I think we did kind of have some of that over, but uh, there were some boundaries there, weren't there? <laughs> Are there boundaries in your life? Have you been imprisoned to perhaps something that's there that you can't quite put a finger on? but that sometimes threatens your very way of being. You know, sometimes in, in, in the modern Western world, a part of that is due to our own individualism. We've been so convinced that what's really important is what we want and what we desire and what we need and what we demand that we forget that we are a part of something bigger than ourselves. Whether it begins with our family, whether it begins with those with whom we work, whether it touches even our church, that it's not always just about me. Somehow, it's about us. Now, I've made it clear during these few sermons that I can't own your faith and you can't own mine. 
We have to come to that faith individually. But there comes that moment when our faith brings us together as brothers and sisters in Christ. And we are in this thing together, having been liberated from the power of the law that Paul says, understanding its function, was to be our guardian, our schoolmaster, our pedagogue, if you please, And what was this guardian? What was this schoolmaster? Perhaps the greatest image that we have of it in all of ancient history is when Philip of Macedon, back there in the fourth century before Christ, wanting someone to school his son, hired Aristotle, the great philosopher, to teach Alexander the ways of Greek life. The myths, the literature, the language, architecture, all of those things that made Greek life so splendid in Aristotle's mind was given to Alexander. And as he moved and took his conquests to the east, wherever he went, there went the language and the literature and the culture of ancient Greece. He was convinced by his pedagogue that this is what the essence of life was about. Here we are. No longer, Paul says, no longer confined by the pedagogue, by our schoolmaster, by the guardian, because we have been set free from all of that. By the coming of Jesus Christ. Ah, but there is that time of training. There is that time of need. You realize, don't you, that the public school system in the United States was not only about educating children in the three R's, as they would say, but it was about raising good, civic-minded individuals, helping them to understand what it meant to be a part of a social fabric of the country in which they were being raised, to understand what it meant to be a part of democracy and to make good decisions. But there came that time when the child would leave the school system and they'd be on their own to make those decisions. You see, the, the, the image that Paul is making has to do with that kind of life. The law has fulfilled its role. We've come now to the liberating freedom we find in Christ. How will we live? What will we do? How will we experience life together? Well, one of the things that Paul says is that we'll realize that all of those artificial boundaries that have separated us and segregated us have been broken. Ancient culture was an exceedingly stratified culture. You knew your position, 
And if you were at the bottom rung of the ladder, you knew it. And it affected the way that you dressed. And it affected the places that you would go. And if you were one of the upper crust, you would see it in your clothing, in your dress, where you went, all of the things in which you would participate. Now, now you know I'm rather low class. I've never played polo in my life. I've been deprived. Paul says, in Christ Jesus, the boundaries are gone. Boundaries that separated Jews and Gentiles. Boundaries that separated slaves from freedmen and from the free. Boundaries that separated male and female. They're gone. They're gone. Because in Christ... There is that sense of liberation in which we are one. And which that divine equality of our spirit takes place and holds us together. No longer trapped by the selfishness of our individualism. No longer trapped by what I have to do to prove myself, to make myself stand out in the world in which we live. We are in this together. Amen. Don't say it too loudly, but we are. <laughs> Amen. And it is in this life, this taste of heaven comes to us. Because, folks, believe it or not, we're going to be unified in heaven. Ain't going to be too much competition there. We're going to be there to reflect what God's grace has meant to us, even in this world and its setting. So when Paul says that those who have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ, I mean, that's basically the image, you know, of, of, of a piece of clothing, a garment. You've taken off the old, you put on the new. And we have become the children of God. We are Abraham's seed. We are spiritually the people that God has shaped all of history to become. We are the people of his pasture. The goodness of all that he could ever see. And it's happened because of Jesus. It's happened because in his death and resurrection, we have new life that shatters and destroys all of those things that would separate us and keep us from really experiencing our potential together. To becoming that sense of the people of God in a way that we could have only dreamed possible before Christ. And so the law, with all of its God-given ability to create a people, was temporary until the coming of Christ 
That's what the text says. That's not my word. That's the text. And it is out of that coming of Christ that we have this sense of newness. Now, in what I've read to you, we can read it in, we just read it. Okay, makes sense. Boundaries are gone. We put on Christ. We're one. But in the ancient world, those were radical words. They were radical. They were revolutionary. Because everything had its place. And everyone knew what their place was and what it looked like. And Jesus comes and he rips all of the fabric of that old life away. And gives us newness in him. But not just my newness. Our newness. That's our privilege in Christ. It's not just about going to heaven, my dear friends. It's about living right now. Below with the ones we know. And praying and encouraging and finding life together. What a grand experience God has for us in the church. I I, I don't know where we've missed it. And I'm not talking about Mission Nazarene. I'm talking about the church. That so often it breeds competition. And so often it breeds a sense of, well, we know we're better than the others. We just know. No. We're in this thing together. So I listen a little bit to sports talk radio and I hear them talk about, you know, who's the best basketball player today? Who's the best basketball player ever? Who's the best quarterback? Who's, who's in the top five? You know. And all of this banter begins and people are giving their ideas and their reasoning. And sometimes they can come to a Maybe a solution that's shared by more than a couple. Sometimes they can't. But you see, that kind of stuff has no place where we are in the body of Christ. Paul went through that in Corinth. I was baptized by Cephas. I was baptized by Apollos. Oh, I was baptized by Paul. I might even look to Christ and think that maybe somehow he baptized me. Paul says, no, no, no. It's not about who baptized us. But as he says here, we have been baptized into Christ. You read that first chapter of Corinthians and Paul asks that wonderful question. Was Paul crucified for you? No, no. 
And Paul even says, I'm thankful I didn't baptize many of you, so you just can't think that you're my people. No, we're Christ's people. We're his people because of what he has done. He is the foundation upon which our lives are built. And we come to that oneness of spirit. Now, I could preach for a long time, or maybe meddle for a long time, on the words here when it says, neither Jews or Greeks, you see, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female. Sometimes the church has missed it badly there. I think Paul's saying that the ground's level at the foot of the cross. And we stand there as equals. Having been imprisoned to sin, having been liberated by Christ, and now united together as one body with a common purpose. To let that light shine in a darkened world that all might see the transforming power of grace. I've been impressed in the last several years by the writings of a Frenchman by the name of Jacques Ellul. You've got to make your mouth feel funny to... Try to pronounce French, you know, it's kind of weird. Jacques Ellul. Gifted writer. And coming out of France, a child of the pre-Second World War days, Ellul came to be a Protestant and a committed Christian. He tried the Communist Party. He tried other things. And his father was an atheist. His mother was a believer. And before little Jacques was born, the father said to the mother, Look, it's okay for you to be a Christian, but you must make one promise to me. That you will not tell our child anything about your faith. She agreed. Jacques Lul was a brilliant student, gifted. Could have gone any place and done literally anything within the educational systems that there was to do. But before he did any of that, he talks about the fact of the impact of his mother's life on who he was as a boy growing up. He never heard her mention the name of Jesus. But she lived the life impeccably before him. And he says, I became a Christian. Because of the faith of my mother. I read that. It's almost unbelievable. 
But it's a part of what the body is to be to a watching world. Oh, I believe we need to tell the story. I believe we need to tell it far more frequently than we do. But I believe we must live it. So that all the world can see what it means to be empowered by God's Spirit in the midst of this life. A taste of heaven, unity. (laughs) I think I like that because it's not just about me, it's about us. It's not just about you, it's about us together. And sometimes people choose churches because beautiful buildings or whatever, you know. (laughs) One of the good things about choosing a church like this is we can look around and say, you know what? These are my kind of folk. They kind of reflect what I believe life is about. These are my kind of people. My junior year in high school, I had the privilege of going down to Olivet Nazarene College, Olivet Nazarene University now, for a homecoming. And the young man I was staying with asked me if I wanted to go up to uh, Chicago Sunday night to be a part of the great singspiration that was held at the First Church of Deliverance at 1400 South Wabash Street there on the south side of Chicago. I was dumb enough. I said, sure. I want to go. Now, you got to remember, we're in the heat of the civil rights movement. First Church of Deliverance, large African-American congregation. They asked that there be no Caucasians or Anglos or whatever attending their regular Sunday evening service at 6 o'clock. But they had us inspiration at eight that was heard all over the states via radio. And uh, there were five of us from Olivet sitting in the second row right there. Thirty five hundred people. Went to that building, man, the ushers were dressed in tuxedos and spats. You don't even know what spats are. They had spats. I'd heard him on the radio a hundred times say it. But I saw him say it that night. And Clarence J. Cobb stuck his hand out over that podium. And he said, I love you. And I love you. And I love you. It doesn't matter what you think about me. But it matters what I think about you. And I love you. And for a. 17-year-old junior in high school, looking around and realizing that these traditionally had not been my kind of people. I realized that I was in the body of Christ. I couldn't get away from it. And that Clarence J. Cobb was my brother. And Ralph Goodpasture, that marvelous, gifted musician and hymn writer and 
leader was my brother. And I wasn't there just to experience the show. But it was a powerful impact that I will never forget. Sometimes we have to learn about the body and its power to create well-being for us. Now we have to treat the body correctly to experience this sense of physical and mental and social well-being. But it can happen. It happens a day at a time. The right nutrients, the right amount of sleep, the right kinds of environment that we can give to us. And we live there growing and becoming better all the time. But what our task is, is to realize even in that state, we're not alone. We're not just individualized. We're in this together. And as we come and share in communion in just a few moments, I would want you to be impressed by the power of oneness. I want you to hear the words from our church manual, and when I conclude reading this, I'll ask those who will serve to come. But listen to what the words of our church manual say. The Lord himself ordained this holy sacrament. He commanded his disciples to partake of the bread and wine, emblems of his broken body and shed blood. This is his table. The feast is for his disciples. Let all those who have with true repentance forsaken their sins, have believed in Christ and to salvation, draw near and take these emblems, and by faith partake of the life of Jesus Christ to your soul's comfort and joy. I love those words. But these. Let us remember that it is the memorial of the death and passion of our Lord. It is also a token of his coming again. Let us not forget that we are one at one table with the Lord.